I'd like you to turn to Luke 11, if you haven't yet. Luke chapter 11. And uh, we're going to be looking at verses 3 and 4 specifically. We did verses 1 and 2 uh, two weeks ago. And Jerry Vanderveen was with you last week. And so now we're going to pick up in verses 3 and 4. Um, I shared that this is not something that we just say words to, the Lord's Prayer. It's not... Um, was not given to Jesus' disciples just so they'd have something to say. Rather, the idea was this is a, a, a tuning fork. It brings our prayers in tune with God's desires in His heart. There are principles laid out here. There are um, uh, requests that we are to have a part of our prayer lives. And um, this keeps us in tune. It, it calibrates us in our prayers. And so, in Luke chapter 4, or excuse me, Luke chapter 11, verses 1 through 4, Jesus has already shared the things that we're supposed to pray um, that are part of God's big agenda on this planet. And two weeks ago, we saw that we are to pray for, honestly, something that is going to outlive us. Something that is going to be greater and move on further, even after uh, this time of our lives is over. God's big agenda, His name be set apart, His uh, kingdom come, His will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So God's big agenda on this planet is for us to pray for something that will outlive us. Just think of the disciples who would have prayed this. And if they could see what God would do through their prayers, how He would build His church from Acts and on up till now, you could see the, the, uh, the answers to that, to that prayer. But now, Jesus wants us to pray for what will die with us. To pray for what will die with us. Uh, Verse 3, give us day by day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone that is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. You see, there are things that we pray there that we will not have to worry about in eternity, will we? We won't have to worry about our daily bread. We will not have to worry about our sins. We will not have to worry about ever being led again into temptation. So now we pray for what will die with us. I want to remind us, though, before we get into the verses, that this is a corporate prayer. Jesus did not simply tell his disciples to pray, Give me day by day my daily bread, or forgive me my sins. But it was a corporate prayer. It was a prayer the church was to pray together. And so, we saw last time... That first of all, we ask together for His name to be set apart, His name to be revered, His name to be truly worshipped together. The weight and glory of the name of God, we are asking to be standing out absolutely clear like like a bright full moon in a dark night sky. Gloriously shining. Like like the crown jewels in in the Tower of London. Distinct and brilliant and treasured as those who go through the line onlookers are captivated by the beauty of them. 
other words, we are to pray that, 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 uh, that we see Him in His excellency and His glory. The beauty of His holiness would arrest the attention of a rebel world. We want the glory of God to mar- melt away the cold winter of hard hearts. Hallowed be your name. Holy be your name. Set apart be your name. And His name is all that He is and all that He stands for. And then He told them to pray, Thy kingdom come. And so we ask together, not only for His name to be set apart, but secondly, we ask for His reign to arrive. His reign to arrive. Now we know Jesus is already King of kings and Lord of lords. Yet we do not see, the writer of Hebrews says, the world in submission to that, do we? So we ask together for His reign to come. We ask Him to do what He promised, to return and set up His kingdom, to establish His reign and His rebel creation. We live amongst, uh, uh, the, the New Testament writer said, a perverse generation. Paul said, a people of unclean lips. Uh, we were once one of those, were we not? Rebels. A rebel creation uh, that, that has no problem eating the king's food, has no problem uh, drinking the king's water, has no problem bringing, breathing the king's air, but despises the king's word. They delight in His gifts, but they do not delight in the giver. And so we are to pray that these rebels would be changed to loving citizens, and our hearts be in line with His. That He reigns and rules in a spiritual sense, as we look forward to that day when He sets up His earthly kingdom. Thy kingdom come. We ask together for His reign to come. And thirdly, after we pray for this request for His power and His presence to be fully realized upon the King's return. Thirdly, we ask together for His desires to be accomplished. His desires. It's all written here. His will. His revealed will. His written will. We plead for His written will, the Word of God, to be done. To happen. We show Him His handwriting in the Scriptures. We show Him what he, was, what he has written. We ask for hearts to be melted by His Word. We ask Him to do what He says He desires to be done. And another way of looking at that in the realm of a church is we ask for a Spirit-controlled church. And really, as, I, as I've um, studied this, and I really feel that this prayer is a prayer for revival. It's a prayer for awakening. It's a prayer for the Spirit to, to control us according to the Word of God. So we're asking, when we ask together for His desires to be accomplished, we're asking that I would not be a blockade in that. We're asking for a Spirit-controlled church made up of Spirit-controlled fathers and Spirit-controlled mothers and Spirit-controlled grandmas and grandpas and husbands and wives and uncles and aunts and singles and youth and children, etc., Spirit-controlled plumbers and electricians and salesmen. Soil testers and government workers and homemakers, etc. And we display Jesus as King to the world. That our lives truly say, Jesus is Lord. As we lovingly obey His good word, gladly. You know what happens in the, in the book of Acts when the Spirit comes down. They, 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 there's a gladness to what they're doing. 
a gladness. And it dwells in our hearts richly by faith, God's Word. So really we're praying for an awakening. So this happens, and His will is done right here, right now. We pray fervently, we pray believing, and we pray desperately. And it leads us to verse 3. Give us day by day our daily bread. And so this morning, we can see that we pray... We ask together for His provision for tomorrow's needs. His provision for tomorrow's needs. That phrase literally says, give us tomorrow's bread today. And so we've gone from this big agenda, right? Things, praying for things that are going to outlive us, now praying for daily provisions. You know what that tells us? It tells us God cares about that. He cares about the physical realm. God is genuinely interested in us. He's genuinely interested in being the good father of our lives, even if that means filling our bellies. He is the source of all provision. He is as the spring is to the source of the river. He's genuinely interested. We know that. He made us in His image. He purchased us with the blood of His Son. Where Peter says His treasured people, His treasured possession. Not because we're so great, but because of His work that it will do through us. And He made us to live in dependence on Him as our good Father. So our God turns His eyes to the reality on earth. In a fallen world that you and I dwell in. In a real physical body that's weak, that's frail, and is so dependent on so many factors. You realize one little chemical change in your body chemistry and your life could be ended. It could be the smallest little degree. And he has a plan. Why does he want them to pray for uh, their daily bread? Because he has a plan for these bodies. He knows that we're not going to be any earthly good, right, if we're dead on this earth. He desires to see us work for Him. He desires to see us accomplish His will. And He's a plan for these bodies to do His will. And in order to do that, He must be our supply. And so our Father is to be asked to feel this physical pinch slap, physical reality, this body, so we can pursue His glory. So you see, even a little thing, trusting God for our food is connected to his big agenda, isn't it? He says, give us day by day our daily bread. Uh, what I need now and each day to live, he's talking about physical provisions. And, you know, that doesn't mean, well, we don't pray for water, you just pray for bread. He's talking about all the physical provisions. And the idea here is our needs, our needs, not our wants, not our wants. The idea is to trust God for our needs. And as I said, it means literally, give today our tomorrow bread. Now that's a little hard to understand for you and I in America, isn't it? How do I got to pray for, pray for bread? I just go to my cupboard. Just go to my fridge. I don't have anything in there. I just go to Hannaford's, right? Why do we need, what do I need to pray for about that? Our food is already in the fridge or the cupboards. Or we can just drive to the grocery store if we need something. Sorry, we're common market. <laughs> 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 
And French and Braun. Anybody else? Walmart. Where else? Um, and it's hard for us to think about, but if you were living in Israel in that day, um, you didn't just go to the supermarket. And you didn't necessarily just go to the market. You had to have something to trade, trade with, right? Um, and bread didn't just come in a nice plastic bag with a little twisty tie on it. And maybe uh, we might seem far removed of that, but listen, you go to the store with your money to buy that bread today. Where that money come from? It came from my job. Where did that job come from? And that's what God wants us to get to, the heart here. To understand that anything that He gives us comes from a good God, and we need to be dependent on that. Not take any of that for granted. Think about Israel. When they were in the wilderness and God gave them manna, He gave them that provision, right? Now did He give them manna for the whole week? They just stocked it up and put it in their cupboards and put it in their little freezer bags and put it in the freezer for for a future day. How much did He give them? Just enough for that day, right? Give us this day our daily bread. And two days on the Sabbath, right? The day day before. Um, Think about your kids. Your kids. Um, Or your grandkids. Or kids. They have no qualms about asking mom or dad for something, do they? No qualms. And probably a little too easy for them to do that. In our country, isn't it? Um, they, They... They know, if they are in a loving home, they know that they have the ability to ask you for anything. Now, your answer might be different. But they don't have a, 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 an approach to you where they must uh, tremble and wonder if you're going to provide for them, right? But when you were a kid, did you ever go over somebody's house? And, um, you know, the person, the, the, the kids you were with who invited you over, you know, they could ask mom and dad for But you were a little hesitant to do that for yourself, to somebody else's parents. Um, can I have a snack? Oh, no, that parent would have, I'm sure would love to give you a snack, but you just felt hesitant to do that. It was just awkward and weird. Um, <clears throat> I was uh, listening to an African pastor who was telling about his experience in Zambia where... Uh, they don't have, uh, because of the disease and, and death that's more rampant in their villages, um, the Christian community has adopted uh, orphans into their own families. And, and they're, they're like their own kids, of course. They're adopted in their families. Um, but the, the natural-born children um, have no problems saying, uh, Mom, my underwear's out. I need new fresh underwear. Um, but the kids that have been adopted... Um, they have to break through that barrier and see, this is my father too. And they're more hesitant. They can be more hesitant to say, hey, I'm on my last pair. Folks, when we understand that God is really our Father, He's going to provide us with what we need. What we need. We're the providers of children, and children know that. But many times we do not really think God is the provider, is our Father for our physical needs. 
So our challenge here in this passage is to ask ourselves, do we really take Him and His provision for granted? Do we really talk to Him as our loving Father who provides? Or do we either not think He's interested in that, or do we um, uh, uh, wing the pendulum to self-righteousness and think, well, it's just going to be there. Give us this day our daily bread. Give us day by day our daily bread. So we ask together for His provision for tomorrow's needs. And that takes real faith. Real faith. Because every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights. Including your peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. Secondly, He says, And forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone that is indebted to us. We are to come with our consciences smitten, with our failing and our falling short of glorifying God, and our worship rooted in the wrong ways, and we are to confess and forsake. So secondly, we are to ask together for our sins cleansing or purifying, keeping with the peace. Now this is not talking about salvation, where we come to Christ for our salvation. This is about the regular cleansing. Disciples need as we confess and forsake our sins. As we realize the sins beneath the sins that we operate in. Sometimes we can just operate on a surface level and confess our anger, but forget to see why, what motivated us to be angry. And we, we, the answer is, according to James 4, according to Luke, about the abundance of the heart, um, in James 4, where our desires come from, we do what we do because we want what we want. And there are idols that need to be rooted out. Repentance is not just confessing your sin. Proverbs says, it's whosoever confesseth and forsaketh our sin. So we ask together for our sins cleansing. And this scene here is less like a courtroom where we're confessing before the judge, and more like a living room, where we are talking to our Father, uh, as His children, about our sin, so our relationship with Him and each other flourishes. What has the Holy Spirit convicted you about? Well, this thing. Okay, well, what's behind it? What incorrect thinking is behind that, where your mind needs to be renewed? Where uh, you, you need His purifying because you are clinging on to a false treasure instead of the treasure of the God of heaven. Forgive us our sins. Notice that's in a corporate sense as well. Forgive us together. We have sinned together, our sins. And then he has a condition attached. Notice he says, For we also forgive everyone that is indebted to us. Notice that condition. The hands that have reached out to God in broken repentance cannot withhold forgiveness to others who have sinned against us. That's his point. And Jesus has emphasized this in other places in the Gospels. Let me show you uh, in Matthew chapter 6, please, what Jesus is referring to here. (laughs) Matthew 6, verse 14. Jesus says, after the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6, He says, For if ye forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. 
But if you forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. If you're forgiving people, then you don't have that obstacle of sin, of unforgiveness between you and the Father. But if you're not, then you have created another sin. They say, but I've been a sin against. So don't add more sin to it. Unforgiveness. The idea here is, uh, is also repeated in, in Mark 11. Mark 11, and I, my handwriting's messy, I believe it's verse 25. <clears throat> and when ye stand praying, forgive. If ye have ought against any, that your Father also which is in heaven may forgive your trespasses. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father which is in heaven forgive your trespasses. There needs to be, your, your horizontal relationships can block your vertical relationship. Bitterness blocks God's flourishing and grace and mercy in your life. And don't say, we don't do that. Or I don't do that. That's one of the respectable sins, right? It's a little more white-collar sin. I mean that in a spiritual sense. Notice how he describes the sin that is done against us from other people. He says, we also forgive everyone that is indebted to us. You know what? That, that begs a question. And it leads us to a conclusion that forgiveness is releasing a debt. Releasing a debt. Sins against us, indebted to us, are the same thing. Now, it is, without being a disciple of Christ, our thought processes about being sinned against would be, I've wronged, and I want to hold that over them. That is how I will punish them. Because I am the Lord, and I will punish them. But when we're in Christ, we may have that temptation. I've been wronged. And my nature wants to hold that over them. But I've been given a new nature. And your grace has forgiven me with far more offenses against a far more righteous and holy God. And you've given me a clean record and a new heart. You've shown me the reality of God's work in my life. And I can do nothing but forgive the debts of sin of others. Now think about this. There is nothing that you and I contributed to our salvation except offering and brokenness our sin. Here you go, Lord. This is what you paid for. To forgive. And when we turn from sin to Christ, listen, we received all of Christ and His righteousness for us. We didn't just take the parts that we wanted. Like the Golden Corral Buffet. I'll have some of that. Not those. I'll have some of that. Yeah, that looks good. Mm, nope. Hold that. Nope. You get all of Christ. You get all of Christ. And so... God tells us that it's a broken and a contrite heart. He will not despise. We can fall into two extremes here in forgiveness, asking forgiveness to the Lord. We can feel that we are not forgiven. We can fear that. We can doubt His forgiveness when we have honestly and contritely and brokenly confessed. 
And we may forget the sufficiency of Christ and just be be depending on a feeling. Or we could be like the self-righteous Pharisee who thinks, what do I need to be forgiven of? I'm not like this guy over here. So we need to make sure that we don't swing to either of extreme, but we take by faith what he's done. And I heard a a very helpful illustration um, the past couple weeks. And transport your mind back to Egypt when Israel was, was in bondage. And uh, it was the night before the Passover. And God tells the Israelites that you need to put the blood of the perfect lamb on the door, the spotless lamb, and the death angel will pass over and you'll be saved. Now imagine, there's, uh, there's, uh, there's Judah and there's Levi here. And they live in their, 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 their fathers of different homes. <clears throat> and, um, and Levi says um, to Judah, Okay, I did that. Do you think that's enough? I put the blood on the doors, and you put the blood on the doors. You think tomorrow when we wake up, we're still going to have our firstborn with us? And he wonders, but he's done it. And Judas has absolute confidence. He says, sure, this is what God says he'll do. I've done it. That's what God says. That's what's going to happen. Let me ask you this. Which one of those two fathers, Judah or Levi, had both their sons with them in the morning? They both did. Did it matter what they felt? It mattered the object of their faith. The object of their faith. And so for those that are in the spectrum of you have honestly and brokenly and contritely confessed your sin to God, but you're worried, did he forgive me? I want you to think about that illustration. But I also want to warn you, as I said, about the self-righteousness of the Pharisee. Both were praying in the temple courtyard, right? And one guy does it for the applause of men and he says, Thank you that I'm not like this guy. And the other can't even lift his head and he says, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And that's what God's talking about in this passage. Forgive us our sins. And I tell you, that publican would probably would be more able to forgive those who sinned against him. So this is a prayer to show the reality of God's work in my life so that I will not add the sin of unforgiveness to the offense of God. Lord, forgive me in your mercy. Lord, help me to forgive those who have wronged me. This is a staunch line in the sand drawing here. Based on God's power and His grace, it is a refusal to drink the poison of a sin committed against you. Because you know that's what you're doing. When you can't forgive others, you're just drinking the poison that they handed you. And expecting them to die if someone had said it. It's releasing the offender from your kingdom... And turning them over to the Lord. That doesn't mean there's not consequences. That doesn't mean there are not um, uh, boundaries, depending on the cases that need to be drawn. But it does mean you are releasing the offender from your vengeance. That's forgiveness. And you're turning them over to the Lord. Ephesians 4.32 And be kind one to another. He's talking about life in the community of Christ. Tenderhearted. That means compassionate. Forgiving one another. And he doesn't stop there, does he? Because an imperative, a command, is always based in an indicative. In other words, a command is always based on what God has already provided for you. 
even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. God, through Christ, has forgiven you. And so, for, Lord, forgive me, and let me release those who have sinned against me. When you were a kid, <clears throat> you didn't like letting go of the helium balloon that someone gave you, right? Um, and sometimes, um, <clears throat> our lack of forgiveness, God needs to pry our fingers open and let that balloon go up. Release it. Let the balloon go. So forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone that is indebted to us. And thirdly and finally, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. We pray together for power to say no to sin and yes to Christ's efficiency. We pray for power to say, I'm going to put off because I have put off sin in Christ. I'm going to renew my mind in His Word and truth, and I'm going to put on Christ. And a lot of times we don't pray far enough. We pray for the putting off. We don't pray for the better appetite, the better taste. We pray together for power to say no to sin and yes to Christ's efficiency. We pray together for renewing our minds. We are praying together for power to not yield to temptations, but instead yield to something far better, deliverance. Deliverance. And this is the idea of the near future. God, give us grace, future grace to resist in the draw near. Remember, we do what we do because we want what we want. We ask for the Holy Spirit then to change our affections, to change our desires, to change our tastes to Christ's. Lead us not into temptation. And what this does not mean is that you will not have temptation. What it is saying is, God, by your power, when that temptation comes my way, help me not to be led into it, but to turn from it and turn to you. You remember um, what Jesus told his disciples <coughs> in Matthew 28. Go therefore and, and, uh, and preach the gospel and to baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Spirit. And to teach them all things whatsoever I have commanded you. To observe, to obey, to obedience. You connect that to Romans 28-29. Where God works all things together for good to them that love him. Those that are called according to his purpose. And his purpose in Romans 8.29 is that we are conformed to the image of his Son. Progressive sanctification is the, is the big word for that. We're being changed into Christ's image, changed into his glory. <clears throat> and in 1 Corinthians 10, there has no temptation taken you, but such as was common to man. You're not the only one to have faced that. But God will, with that temptation, make a way of escape. Lead us not into temptation. Lord, help me to take advantage of that trapdoor you give in every temptation. And so this prayer is together. May your spirit use your word so much in us that we are operating out of the word of God. Our minds have been renewed. We're operating out of that when temptation comes. We see the, the, the crumbling, dried out uh, um, uh, uh, nature of that sin, though it's wrapped in a, in, a, in, a, in a beautiful veneer. We see what's underneath of it and we turn to Christ for the superior pleasure. 
So we're operating out of the Word of God. It dwells in our hearts richly. It umpires our lives to kill sin by saying no, to renew our mind, and to put on Christ. That we grow in holiness. That whatever sin I am most easily tempted to do, and I have a well-worn path towards, whether that's murmuring, or whether that is uh, uh, um, looking to food to satisfy me, uh, whether that's addictions of various kinds, uh, whether that's anger, or pride, or an unforgiving spirit, or fear, that I grow in holiness and I put off the works of the flesh and put on the fruit of the Spirit as my mind is renewed, that I be pleasing in your sight. So those are the items that God wants us to pray. Um, Some of you have been school teachers in the past, and you have given assignments to your students. And they turn them in, finally on that due day, and you still wait for the others that are going to come in tomorrow, right? But you get them, and you're looking at them. And you've given specific, clear instructions. You said, this is what you need to do as you write this paper. This is what I'm looking for. This is the font it needs to be in. Um, these are the, this is the structure of the paper. Um, this is where you can research. You give it clear instructions. And you get these papers, and you're reading them, and you're like... Looking at them in confusion, because it was not what you told them to do. And you call the class together, <coughs> and you say, guys, we need to have a talk here. Remember that paper I gave you? What paper? Right. The paper I gave you that gave all the instructions, told you what to do. We worked through this. We talked through this. I told you this, right? And let me give you some examples of what I got. You don't say their names, but uh, so-and-so put this and did this. and That's not what I said. Um, Give some examples. And then you say, guys, I gave you the standard here. I... I have clearly taught you what you're supposed to do, but you didn't follow the instructions and directions. And I wonder if that might be a small illustration of us as the students in the school of prayer in the Lord. Lord Jesus, guys, I told you what to pray for. I told you what to put as priorities in your prayer. I told you about God's big agenda. And I told you about your lives that are in response to that. I wonder if he hears things like that in our prayer meetings or our personal prayers. Okay, you're praying for this, this, and this. You're praying for a nice life. I said to pray that my name be set apart. Even when your life isn't so nice. I prayed for my big agenda to happen. That's what I told you to pray for. That's what I prayed for. Follow. Get your heart in tune again with what I told you to pray. And let's turn our prayers from just being a laundry list of things that will help us have a nice life to praying for His glory to be revealed in our lives. You see, there's a difference. Does that mean I can never pray for traveling mercies? No. But I can pray that realizing that I don't deserve those traveling mercies. And I might not have those traveling mercies. But I can pray for God to be glorified on my trip. Whatever that might be. There's one illustration. 
So God wants us to turn from, from, from praying uh, for, for that the surgery to go well. Uh, I'm not saying, don't misread me, that you don't pray for those things. And you can't pray for those things. But that is not the focus of our prayers. From having a nice life to praying to live for His glory. And to see His glory fill this earth. Let's pray.